0: Coming up this hour, as we argue about vaccinations, what is the importance in the role of empathy? And then we're going to talk to author Rob Singleton about his new book, Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, Aubrey, my kids went back to school today, so we are fully. You and I both. We are fully back in. Summer kids school. is officially
1: over. Yeah,
0: even though it's like a hundred and fifty. I know. It's, I feel so
1: sad for our kids. My kids don't have air conditioning in their school. Mine and nope. seriously, so my it'll be interesting about your kids. My kids came home yesterday from school looking like they had run a marathon. Like they were like bright <laughs> red and sweaty, and they wanted to take showers. It was terrible.
0: Uh, the, actually, I should say my daughter at high school. I believe they have air conditioning, but my two middle schoolers mm-hmm. definitely do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know what's coming. They just went and visited their school yesterday for like two hours to walk their schedule yeah. and both of them were just beat right. oh. <laughs> so, and then you add the masks on top of oh, it, Oh, it's, it's terrible. going to be good no,
1: it's terrible, I sent my kid with a, a personal fan to school today, I'm hoping the teacher lets him
0: He's that kid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All the other kids are mad at him. Like, oh, look at the kid with the fan.
1: <laughs> look at that privileged kid.
0: Look <laughs> at the kid with the fan. So uh, hopefully your kids out there are, are enjoying the start of their school year. Kind of some schedule. This is – Prime time for those of you who love schedules and rhythm and that's normalcy. Right, it is. Getting back into it. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, all right, Aubrey, I want to talk about a disturbing trend, something that I've just seen at least on my Twitter, Facebook feeds. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to look at our social media and think that that's kind of emblematic of the world. But other times you look at it and you see trends that are going on and and kind of as a bigger uh, what's going on in our society. So let me tell you about something that's been really kind of eating at me and bothering me for the last couple of weeks. I wonder if you've seen it and how you feel about it. It's in this kind of whole debate about vaccinations. You know, we know you and I are both vaccinated. And yep. so uh, but we all have friends and family members and others who have chosen not to sure. get vaccinated yeah. uh, for Sometimes for good reasons, other times for reasons we may disagree with. But but they're uh, not ever I'll put it this way. Not everybody who is not vaccinated, not everybody who has chosen not to get vaccinated is crazy.
1: All right, it, that's so we'll, a that's a very solid point right there.
0: We'll we'll put it that way. Uh, but what we also know, at least as you're watching the news, it's it seems that the numbers are pretty definitive that those who are having the most trouble with COVID right now and the Delta variant, and the most likely to pass away from it, are people who are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so you start to see these stories. Like I'm reading this one story out of Alabama about a, a young dad, uh, who was thought he was low risk for COVID-19. He's in his early thirties, uh, and he, uh, got COVID and on August 11th, he died of COVID. Like, oh, right, we're, we're seeing sad. these stories happening all over the place. Yeah. And like you said, the normal reaction to this is, wow, that's so sad. But something that's become a bit of a hobby, it feels like, on social media for some people is to repost these stories in almost a gloating type mm-hmm. of way. I a, don't like See, that. Yeah. You should have gotten have vaccinated. Yeah. Or yeah. even as bad as this. Well, uh, you know, almost like a I'm happy that this happened because it's going to mm-hmm. show people you need to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. This is what we've been telling you. You just mentioned you've been seeing this. but. Have you been seeing this or is it I I feel like I'm seeing this over and over and over again. And as a person who got vaccinated, I get really angry when people are posting these stories and like, See, should have gotten vaccinated. What have you been seeing?
1: Yeah, so I've been seeing two things. I've been seeing what you said, like just like regular users on social media, utilizing these stories as a way to like prove their point of view. And I with you, I'm vaccinated. I'm super vaccinated. I have the third booster. (laughs) I love that. I am like non-judgmentally encouraging all of my friends and family and loved ones to get vaccinated if they feel like they can, according to their conscience and according to their doctor. Okay, I want you to do that. That said. I mean, never, never It is appro- is it appropriate to gloat about someone's death or to use someone's death for your own ends and purposes. I think mm. it is absolutely disgusting. The other thing that I'm seeing is even like news stories where they're using these almost as like propaganda uh, to point. get the vaccine. And again, I'm pro vaccine, go get the vaccine. But I don't. I never, I'm always weary of fear tactics. I'm always weary of fear mongering. And I'm always worried about like the dignity of these precious families who have yes. lost loved ones. So now, I understand if you're married to someone who died and that person says, I wish I would have gotten the vaccine. Please tell everyone we know to get it. Or if you're walking with someone di- like I have a really good friend. Her her dad's funeral is actually this weekend. Her dad mm-hmm. died last year before the vaccine came out of COVID. And I know it is a heart heart heartbreaking thing for her that he wasn't able to get the vaccine. And for him, I know he would, she says he would want people to get the vaccine. Mm. That's different. That's a personal story. A personal person can do this, but if you're just taking someone else's headline and using it to be like, see, I'm right, you're wrong. Or if we're using these stories in a way that really undignify or objectify someone's death, I, it's I don't like it. I think it's immoral, frankly.
0: I think that's well put. I just feel like I read these stories every day. And, and and I understand you got to report the news, this and that. But but there does seem to be this. We're going to use the stories of unvaccinated young people who died. There was another story here of a Texas mom. Uh, who died of COVID-19 just days after giving birth because mm. she was scared about, I'm pregnant, I don't want to get the vaccine. You right. hear a lot about that.
1: Sure, uh, But
0: I, I think you use the right word. It almost feels like propagandizing. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, do you want to be that person? Do you want to end up like that? And they become just part of this larger story that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Bring, well, I, let's speak to the Christ follower out there good, who good might point. be feeling like, yeah, no, I need to use these stories in order to uh, kind of move my point about vaccinations or win my yeah. argument or whatever. What would you say to people in your church or who are listening uh, yeah. who might be taking that tact right now?
1: I would say a couple of things. Maybe ask why, like what's underneath your need to do that. I know for some of you, it might be like a sincere like I want my loved ones to get vaccinated, in which case I would say there are other things you can use. You can use facts. You can use statistics. You can use quotes from your own doctor. You can just talk about your own experience and why you got it. You don't need to, um, I don't know, glom onto someone else's heartache and use it for your own ends. And I think if you're doing it because you feel the need to be right, And to prove someone else is wrong, I think that's something you need to take before the Lord and just say, God, wow, I am, man, I want to be right about this thing. I want to prove everybody else wrong. Can you show me another way? And perhaps there's a more gracious way to honor those who are suffering and to spread the word about, you know, getting vaccines than this particular tactic.
0: Yeah, and I think it also reminds us of the, and this is going to lead into our our interview that's coming up here. It's it reminds us of the disconnected nature of social media. Like, mm, well, look at great. that story. I'm going to yeah. post it and make my point. And you're like, well, that's a that's a real human being. Yeah, that's a grieving family. That's a yeah. I don't know. I, and I it worries Maybe me. Maybe
1: stop and pray for that family instead yeah. of posting about it. You know, yeah, go ahead, you, Brian.
0: No, you just see this more and more. And and I I, I thought it important to bring up because I think there. We're a society that's losing the ability to be empathetic and sympathetic mm. to people. And, and heaven help us if we as Christians lose the ability to be empathetic, that's to right. be sympathetic, to love our neighbor and mourn with those who mourn, uh, as opposed to using people's mourning to make some sort of larger point. Uh, yeah, I think it's important for us to wrestle with. We, we as Christians can't lose that ability. Well, again, a lot of it has to do with social media, and and that's why I'm excited to talk next to Rob Singleton. He's a lead pastor of the Summit Church out in Centennial, Colorado, also the author of a book called Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. We're excited to talk to Rob Singleton next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the lead pastor of the Summit Church in Centennial, Colorado. Also, the author of a book that came out just a little while ago at the end of April called Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. That pastor and author is Rob Singleton. Rob, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing, doing great. Good. It's so good to have you with us. I, As I told you off air, my co-host is struggling with jealousy with you being in Colorado. But <laughs>
1: that,
0: uh, we are good. Hey, Rob, before we jump into the book, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better?
2: Uh, I am a pastor, and I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, about 27 years, planted seven churches, wow. um, helped plant several more. Actually, let me say that i, I we directly planted three churches, helped plant seven more, That's awesome. uh, have been consulting around the country uh, and helping other people plant churches. Um, my wife, Michelle, we've been married 26 years. I've got a son 24 years old in Africa right now. Nice. Uh, A daughter in San Diego. She's married. Uh, My son's Nate. My daughter's Juliana. Uh, My wife calls our son-in-law our (laughs) son-in-love. Oh, that's
1: cute.
2: You don't think that's kind of cheesy? Anyway. Yeah, I love <laughs> a, it. It would be it's cheesy a, if you called him that, Rob. Yeah. That would be cheesy. But. <laughs> oh, I think that'd be a whole nother podcast if calling,
3: <laughs>
2: calling him that. But yeah, he's a great guy, loves the Lord. And, uh, you know, they're all walking with Jesus. And honestly, um, what more could we long for? A little bit yeah. more about uh, myself. We planted a church in, in North Carolina uh, probably about 20 years ago. With about eight people in our living room, and believe it or not, the catalyst for this book was born Mm. then because it took off. None of us were ready for what God did. Those eight people turned into about four thousand people on three campuses, and and, uh, as it grew, you know, I think the temptation to do a lot of things because it grew and social media grew right along with it, Mm. and so you know, you jump on all those bandwagons, you get the The word out technology is great for you know being able to leverage it to let people find out about jesus but then there there's just some traps along the way Mm -hmm. and as i saw how damaging those traps can be the lord put it on my heart over the years to work on this book to just help people
1: Wow, that's so interesting. I can't wait to dive in and hear more. I know one of the things that you talk about in the book is relationship. And I was wondering if you could explain for our listeners, what does relationship mean? And why is it central to everything you talk about in the book?
2: Well, I mean, we are you go way back. You go back to the first man and the first woman. You go back to Genesis, and we are created in God's image. And I think we pick and choose what part of that image we like to talk about and what we don't. But part of it is that We were made for community, listen, by community. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit have eternally existed Mm -hmm. in community. So part of being in the image of God is being in community with brothers and sisters. And when we're not, or when we, I think, which is a bigger problem now, when we go after community in a a sort of uh, fake or inauthentic way, or, you know, just try to get a, a thousand Friends on Facebook; those those aren't real friends. Most of those people don't even know you exist. They don't really yeah. know you. They're just kind of giving a little thumbs up on something you say. Or that's not the kind of authentic community we were made for. That's sort of a a shadow community, or a, or a, um, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Just a, mm-hmm. a make believe community. That's. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's completely inauthentic it just offers up something that's kind of a counterfeit. It has no hope of going deep enough to be the real relationship we are created for.
0: Yeah. And kind of piggybacking off of that, you say in the book, you say you're not anti-tech. Like a lot of times when we have this conversation about social media, it could be like, we could come across as don't ever get online. Don't ever do this. And you don't say that you're anti-tech, but as you said, that you're pro-tech. Authenticity. How do you keep those? How how is that possible to uh, be protect, but also kind of push people towards authenticity? You know, I've seen, I've heard that too.
2: I've heard pastors say that, and you know, look, we're not going back to the days of Downton Abbey. We're not, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're, that that ship has sailed. So, yeah. I mean, for pastors to say get off of all that would be to go live in a cave. You really can't do that. Besides, leveraging technology to to fulfill the Great Commission, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be alive to tell people all over the world mm. about Jesus. I love technology. It's just that I i, I found a way to put it that um, I just thought of this a couple of weeks ago. We, we bought a home maybe 25 years ago, and it was during the um, synthetic stucco era. And what was really good about those homes is that they offered lower heating costs, lower air conditioning costs, great insulation, and you know it was supposed to be the greatest siding you could ever put on your home. Well, about five years into it, people started discovering mold and wood rot, and people were paying, including us, were paying 10 times the cost in repairs that we ever could have saved with this wonderful new technology. And Mm. what happened is we just jumped out of the gate and didn't Mm. really look into what some of the dangers were. And social media is Everybody jumped on every bandwagon there was. No studies were done. Uh, nobody really knew what spending six hours on Facebook would do to you. And, and so I, I've, just, I've seen this in the churches we planted. I've seen people get depressed. I've seen people have all kinds of friends on Instagram or Facebook and absolutely no friends in real life.
1: Yeah, that's so, so, so true. More and more and more. We're seeing those stories. And and, uh, I think it's really, really important that you're talking about this. Rob, I want to read something from the book and then have you respond to it, because I think our listeners are really going to connect to this. You say, in a world divided by economics, political views, and gender roles, there are a few foundational truths that we can all agree on. Love is life-giving, and authentic relationships matter greatly. Almost everyone would agree to that. So if that's true, why do you feel like we're more disconnected than ever? Why do you feel like these, um, like you were just talking about the depression and the isolation, why do you feel like that's happening?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's from the first part of the phrase you said, authentic relationships matter more than ever. Um, but listen, if we try to do an end around or a shortcut, there's two bad things that will happen. And the second one is far worse. The first one is we'll think we're getting authentic relationships by just piling up friends on Facebook and stuff. They're, they're anything but authentic. They go about an inch deep and a mile wide, Mm -hmm. but the far worse thing is really the original sin in the Bible that, that kicked off everything. You know, Satan was cast out of heaven because He was trying to set up his own worship, you know, Hmm. trying to get the angels and everybody to worship him. He tried to get Adam and Eve to do that as well in the garden. You know, don't follow God's way. You can be your own gods. And what Facebook does with that, and I I keep picking on Facebook. My goodness, it could (laughs) change in two years. Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, um, you know, TikTok is the real big one right now. But what it's done is it's, caused us to go in, I think, innocently enough. We want to meet people. We want to um, be liked. We want to develop relationships. But it very, very quickly turns into, wait a minute, why didn't I get enough likes on that? Wait a minute, why aren't they responding to me? Mm -hmm. I want these followers. I need these followers. I need these views. I need these likes. And pretty soon, we're connected so much to that feedback that we get depressed when we don't get it. Now, here's the real danger. Our platforms can become little shrines. They can become little worship centers where we're setting up this entire platform to get people to... Now, whenever I say this, people go, oh, you're going too far. That's crazy. (laughs) But honestly, we are. We're trying to garner worship and we weren't meant to carry the weight of worship.
0: That's good. Rob Singleton is the lead pastor of the Summit Church in Centennial, Colorado. Also author of a book we're talking to him about called Overliked: Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. Uh, such an important conversation. That's why we're excited that Rob's gonna stay with us as we continue talking about social media. Uh, and and some of the pitfalls. I, I want to try to ask you: What do you see as the benefits of social media? What are the best things about social media, and how we can use it as individuals and as the church?
2: Well, I think maybe the uh, the pandemic really revealed good things and bad things. I think the bad things were people staying home hours on end and and just being buried in it. The good things were that we didn't lose touch with anybody. Uh, I was sharing earlier that we, right when the pandemic started, we were in six different countries in Africa, Egypt, Kenya, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, all over the place. And we started some great, great outreaches and teaching, actually, you know, even on this book. But when the pandemic hit, technology means you can still have conferences. You can still, uh, in fact, we got a conference coming up in October with Tony Evans and Sadie Robertson and all the... And they're still not ready to do live conferences, but again, through technology, we're going to be able to do not less, um, actually more. Yeah. So uh, again, leveraging technology, there's never been a better time. This this is a fantastic thing, but that doesn't make these traps um, minor. These traps. Mm-hmm. The more I delve into this and really look at the potential footholds for Satan and the potential pitfalls of getting too immersed in social media, the more I realize, wow, this is far more serious than I thought.
1: Mm. Rob, one of the things that we talk about on The Common Good a lot, and that comes up a lot in social media is the idea of cancel culture. I would love to hear your thoughts on cancel culture. And then how can we avoid getting caught up in it?
2: You know, it's funny. um, Jesus is the king of cancel culture, because now, now don't turn me off. Let me tell you why. <laughs> I said, you're, you're probably like, that's terrible. You can't say it. no, but listen, he canceled the debt of against us with our sins. And it's the polar opposite real cancel culture. You know, we, we could never with our resume and no matter how good we act, we could never go before a holy God uh, and been received. So Jesus came down, died on the cross, and literally canceled the debt of sin against us. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Cancel mm. culture does the polar opposite it nitpicks people, it goes back 10 years, it looks for tweets, it looks for one thing said sideways, it takes jokes wrong, yeah. and it literally ruins people's lives. And it, it, it's funny because as we look at that and we say, well, we're trying to treat each other better. Let's cancel these people who say things we don't agree with. Well, actually, nobody can hold up underneath that. I mean, who hasn't said something, you know, wrong in the last decade of their lives? Yeah, yeah. So it just causes you to live in total fear and it's not forgiveness and it's not restoration and it limits growth. I mean, how can we mature and get better If we're just worried about saying anything at all because of the fear we might get canceled. I did a whole video on this on my Rob Singleton YouTube channel um, just on cancel culture.
0: Oh, That's interesting. People should check you out at YouTube. And Rob, in the book, you use David as an example throughout your book. And, and I would love to you to know, why did you choose David? How, why is he a good example of what to do and what not to do when it comes to relationships?
2: Man, what a great follow-up question, because honestly, David would have been canceled today. Absolutely. Over and over and over again for the things that he did. That's not why God showed so much favor to David because he was perfect. Because he was far from it. I mean, for a year of his life, the guy was a murderer, really a mass murderer, when you consider that he he hid Uriah's death, um, Bathsheba's husband's death, among other soldiers that he put at the front. So he's an adulterer, a mass murderer, a liar. uh, And yet... He got right with God again simply by confessing this sin. Uh, It's funny because cancel culture, the moment you confess, you're canceled anyway.
1: But with (laughs) God,
2: um, he loved David because David was a man after God's own heart. What I do is I compare David and really the poster child for narcissist King Saul, Mm. with each other. Because even though that was thousands of years ago, um, Saul is a great example about how to be a people pleaser and set up self-worship. And David's a great example about how you can mess up, but if you just put God first and love him, you'll still live a life of authenticity close to Mm. God and have his favor. And I try to compare and contrast. The only thing that's different today is to be a Saul. Now everybody, billions of people have access um, to to setting up self-worship and being people Mm. pleasers. 10 times faster than Saul ever did because he didn't have social media.
1: Right, right. Um, I want to shift the conversation a little bit, Rob, because something cool you have at the end of your book is the Love Reboot program. And I want to hear more about that. I want our listeners to hear more about that. What is that?
2: You know, it's funny. We're in it right now as a church. Uh, We do 21 days of prayer and fasting twice a year in January and August. And right now we're in it again. The only difference is the one in August is prayer and feasting because people can't take the fasting too long. So this year we're following the um, the 21-Day Love Reboot. And after I go through everything in the book, at the end of every chapter, it has a time of reflection, a time of application. But if you've gotten through the whole book and you're just a little bit dismayed because you think, how can I do this? I'm so immersed. How can I change? Then... We offer up really what's a detox, a 21-day detox from such heavy, heavy involvement in social media.
3: Hmm.
2: And it, you know the idea isn't to come out at the end of it and give up social media like we talked about earlier. No, that ship is sailed and social media is here to stay. But it's to put it in a healthy perspective, to put Jesus Christ at the center of your life, That's good. Um, where he belongs, on the throne of your heart. That's right, and, and really, it gets everything in balance, and, it, and you do that in 21 days.
0: Oh, that's great! And uh, Rob, we've loved having you with us. Before we let you go, where could people connect with you on social media? I know we've been talking about social media, but one of the benefits is being able to connect uh, with other people. So, where could people find you on social media, website, blog, whatever else it might be, YouTube channel? Where could people find you?
2: Uh, really, all the above. If you just search the Rob Singleton. YouTube show. I've got a whole lot of different things, about 100 different videos on all the issues there. Um, at Rob underscore Singleton is my Twitter handle and Instagram. Of course, you can find me on on Facebook. And if you just want to get the book over like the best is probably Amazon still. We've got audible.com. We've got Kindle. We've we've got a small group Bible study you can now get and take your groups in your church through that. So there's, there's a lot of
0: avenues. That's great. Again, Rob Singleton, lead pastor of the Summit Church in Centennial, Colorado, the author of a book that we, we'd encourage you to go pick up called Overlight, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. Rob, it's been great to meet you. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Man, thanks a bunch for having me. I've loved it. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today, you know, doing some research for the show. And somebody had posted an old commentary from Chuck Colson. You remember Chuck Colson? Of course. Uh, he got arrested and was a major part of the Watergate scandal uh, and then came to faith and, and did a lot of prison ministry and other things. Chuck Colson passed away uh, a few years ago, if I remember correctly. But in 2005, he spoke, he wrote a commentary about radical gratitude, this idea of the importance of gratitude. And before we read some of the stuff that he said, I want you to hear something he said. He put out a video uh, about gratitude, and it's importance, specifically to the Christian. Let's give this a listen.
2: I'm convinced that one of the reasons we're adrift as a society today is that we no longer exhibit the virtue of gratitude. As the great British journalist G.K. Chesterton once said, gratitude is the mother of all virtues. It's the essential state of mind for a Christian, for a conservative who's grateful for what's gone wrong before us, and it should be for every American because gratitude prompts within us a sense of responsibility and of duty. We have a duty to contribute to the common good, to our families, communities, and our nation as a way of repaying and honoring those who have gone before us. Gratitude is why I've gone into the prisons for more than 36 years. Gratitude to God for
1: all he has done for me on the
2: cross. How could I not serve him?
0: All right, Aubrey, besides... Chuck Colson using the phrase the common good. I mean,
1: that's my favorite part. (laughs)
0: It always gets to us. What would you, what do you think about what he had to say there, though, about uh, our, our gratitude for what Jesus had, has done for us, compelling us to then have gratitude and live out and serve other people. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that I actually haven't heard before when people talk about gratitude, um, that gratitude should lead us to a place of duty. And he probably said it a little differently than that. But um, normally when we hear talks on gratitude, it's more about like our own heart and our own posture and our own sense of worship, which I think is deeply, deeply important. But uh, to kind of then take it a one step further and say, and then that should lead us to action, to practice gratitude, but also to serve mm-hmm. others the way that Jesus served us, the way that uh, armed forces have served us, the way that pastors and friends and family have served us. Like, It's a stronger message than a pay it forward message. Is like, no, 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 because of the gratitude cultivated in your heart you should live a life that's worthy of your calling. I, I really I think this is a strong message.
0: Yeah, and Colson in his commentary back in back in 2005, uh, I I love how he uh, for the Christian says your gratitude is not linked into what you've what's actually going on right now in mm. your life. So he he talks about Jonathan Edwards and he says, Edwards calls the deeper primary form of thankfulness, gracious gratitude. It gives thanks not for goods received, but for who God is, for his character, his goodness, love, power, excellencies, Regardless of favors received. Uh, that is kind of at the heart of gratitude. Don't you think, Aubrey, that, that no matter what's going on in my life, whether things are going well or poorly, but, but it's not based on my temporal, um, immediate, uh, state of life and how things are going. But instead, I can constantly be in a state of gratitude regardless of my circumstances because of who God is and the fact that his character and what he has done for us never changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, like the we've been talking about the title, radical gratitude, that phrase that uh we're talking about right now, it is radical to have that posture. Mm. Because I think even for the Christian, I mean, when you've got a friend walking through cancer, when we're looking at the increase in COVID cases, when we're all battling our own personal battles, whatever Mm -hmm. they are, it can be so, I don't know, it's almost like this prophetic witness to be like, you know what? Even if all of this stuff is going on, we're actually going to talk later with uh, author Mitchell Lee, whose title of his book Even If is called Even If, even if the world is falling apart around me, Mm -hmm. I will choose gratitude. I will choose to worship because God is enough. And it, it is, I don't think that comes easy. I think that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's a spiritual discipline. Like we have to practice radical gratitude in order to get to a place of it coming naturally from us.
0: And so, how do we grow in that? Let's mm. let's help people because there could be people out there going like, "Nope, life stinks right now. Like i I got nothing to be thankful for." And this could be a Christian saying this, saying, "I've got nothing to be thankful for. I'm I'm just slogging through my days, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of bitter." Uh, how do we actually grow in this? Because I totally agree with what Colson said here. Like, our gratitude is separate from our daily circumstances. Uh, and it's rooted more deeply. But how? I guess I want to give people a tangible, how do you do this?
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think three things came to mind immediately when you said this, Brian. I think it it depends on where we're looking. We need to be looking around. So what I mean by that is not just looking at our circumstances, but looking for the treasures that God is doing in the middle of our circumstances. Like, when is a small need met? When mm. does a neighbor show up and like give you a surprise? When do you get a smile from somebody? When does a a little thing you're stressing out about get taken care of? Like, look for God in little ways. You have water, running water in your house. You have air mm. conditioning. Like start with the small things. Look at the small blessings that God has given you. My mom used to quote this old song, Count Your Blessings One by One.
0: I remember that song. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think
1: just like, literally get in that habit of counting your blessings. Look, I think the other thing is look to scripture. Like we have promises from God in his word. And I think sometimes when we can't look at our circumstances, we can certainly look to the word of God to find the hope that we need. And then I think the last thing, and this is connected to the scripture, look to the Future, meaning we know the end of the story. Like, even though our circumstances might be horrible right now, we know that one day Jesus is going to make all things new. There mm-hmm. will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And so, though this earthly life feels like it is so, so heavy, we have a future promise of hope. We have a future promise that it is going to be okay. And we can look to that as well.
0: Absolutely. That's a good word. I think uh, this is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Like, yeah, if I'm good, like. Brian. If I'm in those moments of going, I've got nothing to be thankful for, you know, life's crumbling or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. If I think I have nothing to be thankful for, those are the times where I need other people to remind me of what God has done for me. But I also need to just remind myself I need to be able uh, to to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done. Radical gratitude. What's that look like? What's the importance of that? for us as Christians. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. Coming up next, we're going to talk COVID. Lots of crazy stuff going on. Lots of new things going on. Aubrey and I are going to unpack it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
1: Coming up this hour... Should there be a vaccine mandate for everyone in our country? And then we're joined by Pastor Mitchell Lee, author of Even If, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad you're with us today today. Brian, we're about to talk about something we don't love talking about, but that (laughs) is the reality of COVID and how not only does it seem like the coronavirus is spreading like wildfire, especially in unvaccinated populations. I was reading an article that Arkansas is running out of intensive care beds at the moment, but also the fact that there are a lot of changes happening in organizations, in schools, uh, in travel guidelines that are coming out for those who have been vaccinated and for those who have been unvaccinated. Have you heard about any of these guidelines?
0: Oh, absolutely. And that's this is why it's getting a little bit. Um, uh, it's getting a little bit crazy out there right now, because it's one thing to be uh, worried about you know, people getting sick or whatever else. But but now it's like, you know, in New York, you, there are certain things you can't do already, like uh, without showing proof of vaccination. And now company after company, this is the big deal with Pfizer getting uh, fully approved the other day is company after company now is basically saying uh, to work here, to be a teacher here, to be a police officer here, to be whatever, you have to be fully vaccinated. I uh, I actually met with somebody the other day at my church uh, who was told by their upper management that he uh, he uh, to make a long story short he might need to let some people go because they're not vaccinated and wow. he's like I don't want to do that and so yeah it, you're hearing about this everywhere whether it be airlines uh, entertainment places mm-hmm. uh civil servants like the police if you didn't see what the uh, police uh, head of the the union said in Chicago the other day it was uh very strongly worded about his thoughts about what mandatory did he say I didn't hear that. It was about mandatory vac- vaccinations and he was just like, this is craziness. Like, we can't stand for this. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think you're going to see, uh, you know, things like unions and other things really pushing back. And, and I don't yeah. know. It, it, it all, it feels like this is like picking up steam. That is, uh, you just, I just think you're going to see business after business now say, and they can do this. They're private businesses. Yep. But all of our people have to be vaccinated. Uh, but you're seeing this with teachers. You're seeing this. I don't know. Yeah. So to answer your original question, I have seen it. And I think it's going to get nuts here in the next couple months.
1: I think you are right. And I was sort of thinking that. Things would die down. This is my I feel like my bubble keeps getting burst and I have to, I guess, let that go. But Delta Airlines is going to start charging unvaccinated employees two hundred dollars a month That's right. to uh, kind of cover any risk or any damage done because of their uh, not being vaccinated. United Airlines is going to require all U.S. employees to be vaccinated uh, Governor Pritzker here in Chicago or here in Illinois is expected to announce a statewide indoor mask mandate mandate and vaccination requirement for teachers. Right. Um, and then what else? I mean, there is so much happening. Brian, This was a really interesting article that I found on NBC News, and I, I just want to get your take on it. OK. OK. Student athletes, Washington State High School, are required to wear COVID trackers regardless of their vaccination status. So a Washington mm. state high school is having some of its student athletes and coaches where tracking monitors to trace potential exposure to the coronavirus, And it says by using the proximity monitors, we can immediately determine who might have been exposed to COVID-19. The school said on its website, athletes and coaches not in contact with the player who tested positive can continue to participate in the sport without the devices. Entire teams could be forced to quarantine if a player or coach tested positive. This way only certain people have to quarantine. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Man, mandatory tracking. I, I, I think I'm always going to have a problem. Right? With.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because why
0: aren't they doing that for everyone in their school then? Because yeah. you can make this uh, – it seems more important that your school be able to stay open than that your football team be able to play. And so is that the next step here? I I, I don't have a good answer though for this, Aubrey, because I there's a very controversial pastor named Doug Wilson who a lot of people probably have heard of today. He put out a YouTube video – literally entitled uh, listen to me use literally like remember our (laughs) list the other day i i railed against people who use literally i think it got it into my vernacular uh but he put out a video today uh about why he, he tries to make the argument and again he's very controversial and he's he has called the pandemic a false pandemic so i want to make sure to put that out there oh lord uh he said that that uh he put out the it was entitled the biblical uh calling or the biblical uh standing for fake vaccine cards and you're like okay that's where this is going to also go Wait what?
1: Pardon? Say that yeah. again? So He's- meaning meaning Christians should have fake vaccine cards
0: Rather than go feel compelled to have to get vaccinated in order to continue with your life. Yes, he goes into this and I won't get into it. I don't agree with him. That's why I keep saying controversial and this and that. I'm trying to make the point that this is going to go. If we thought things were polarizing before, uh, when you're talking about tracking students, you're talking Mm -hmm. about fake vaccine cards, you're talking about people losing their jobs because they don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, this is going to get real. Um, I think messy is, is not a strong enough word. I think I'm worried, Aubrey. I guess I would say that I'm worried about where this is heading. I don't think the point uh, has ever been that never anybody ever gets COVID ever again. Like right. that was never our intention. But nope. it seems like that seems to be what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Uh, and, and And the steps that states are taking, uh, make me very uncomfortable and, and and don't seem to follow the science but seem to be following this narrative that is spinning out of control and mm-hmm. and then I think the reactions of people like Doug Wilson and others are also equally as dangerous and equally as problematic yeah, yeah. and and I do think we've got to be really kind of measured and and mm-hmm. really um, uh, prayerful and, and think about what do we think about it because you and I very we say this all the time, pro-vaccination. Absolutely. We both got vaccinated, but I'm not, I'm not pro. If they were like, hey, we want to put an ankle bracelet on your kid. Heck no. I'm going to make not a chance in the world. No, we're not doing that. Not. Absolutely it not. it feels like this is kind of like where that felt dystopian and out and no chance before. Yeah. It feels like, oh, I can see where we're heading here. And it yeah. worries me.
1: It worries me, too. It almost, I mean, if I take it too far in my worry, it makes me think we're about to have like a major like... Almost split in the United States, you know, that like we're going to start we're going to have two separate countries at some point, those who Mm. are for vaccinations and those who aren't like it's it's a little intense, I feel like. And I agree with you. The point was not to say no one got covid ever. Right. The point was to flatten the curb and let us get back to our life, let the economy go back to something normal or new normal, what have you. This feels very extreme. It also makes me think about the future of travel in our country just Mm -hmm. in general. Like I know that my aunt and uncle were supposed to go to Crater Lake National Park, Oregon, to honor their son, Cameron, my cousin, who was killed there. And their the park uh, ranger, the head of the parks, called them and said, I'm so sorry, but you can't come. COVID is out of control here and we're having to close things down. And it seems like I get that the numbers are going up and that this is this is stark and this is a time to take COVID seriously. But also, like, there are lines that should not be crossed. And I think this tracking line is certainly certainly one of theirs. It makes me think that, like, if you're not vaccinated, are you just going to have to travel by car from now on? And even then, (laughs) what if you get somewhere and you don't have a vaccine card? Yeah. And okay. and then how are we going to tell the difference between a fake vaccine card and a real? I mean, it's a whole mess. I just think if
0: sense. we thought we were polarized before, you can definitely see uh, a a a likely scenario where the polarization is just going to get that much crazier. And people, I don't know, I feel like you and I are pretty moderate. Like We're pretty in the middle. I think yeah. people like us are going to be left in the middle going, I don't even know what to do.
1: <laughs> totally. Like, I don't feel like
0: I have a choice. Like I don't know one way or the other, yeah. and I don't like either choice, and, and we're going to be left to that. It does feel like where this is going for churches, for schools, for businesses, yeah. uh, that not only when we say we're back to where we were, it actually feels like we're further than we were before. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We're, it's something we're going to be uh, having to deal with going forward here.
1: Something we're having to do- and something, thankfully, God is not surprised by. So we can continue yes. to put our faith and our hope in him, even as it gets real weird and dystopian out there. Well, coming up next, my good friend, Mitchell Lee, he's a pastor, and he is an author of a brand new book, Even If Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. We'll be here on The Common Good talking about this really important message. Can't wait for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday afternoon alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am thrilled because one of my dearest friends and partners in ministry, one of the best communicators I know, and one of the most wonderful writers to uh, be launching into the world right now is my friend, Pastor Mitchell Lee. He's a lead pastor of Grace Community Church in Maryland, and his new book, Even If... Trusting God when life disappoints, overwhelms, or just doesn't make sense came out on August seventeenth, and we are so excited to talk with Mitchell and learn more about his book. Mitchell, thanks so much for being here with us today.
3: Oh, Aubrey, what a joy to be with you! I'm just reminiscing on our days in uh, student ministry back. That's right. That's right, (laughs) right. Chicago, and. How cool that the the Lord has just given us grace to come uh, to this place together. I it's just great. Absolutely what a, what a love privilege. that.
1: So much fun. Mitchell, before we jump into the book, I would love to have you introduce yourself so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better.
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm pastoring out in uh, Maryland in a suburb, just a kind of almost in between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., a church called Grace Community Church. And we are a growing multi-ethnic church uh, mm-hmm. and with all the beauty and fragility that that brings, uh, we are. I, I've had a joy of pastoring here for about nine years. Uh, my wife is Sarah, and I've got five kiddos. We were kind of on the uh, Aubrey Sampson track with three boys, and then we outpaced him <laughs> in the final lap uh, with a with a girl and a boy. And so we've got five of us. And uh, all throughout this writing process, they were fighting about who would get mentioned more. <laughs> In the book so <laughs> that
1: awesome. that gives
3: you that gives you a little
0: glimpse into the dynamics of our family life. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> My kids do that. My kids do that with sermons. They're like, "Dad, are you going to talk about me this week?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see.
2: We'll
3: see."
0: Uh, and Mitchell, congratulations on the book. It looks wonderful. Can you just give us a brief overview of the book? What's it about and why did you choose to write about this? Yeah.
3: Um, so the title even if comes out of Daniel 3 and it's it's really an encouragement and a call to worship God. Uh, even when life doesn't go the way we want it to. And, and I try to approach it with a kind of tenderness and pastoral sensitivity that's, that's beyond just the cliches. You know, when, when life doesn't go the way we want, we have a, a surrounding audience of people who will try to give us their advice, right? Like, and it usually ranges somewhere from suck it up to, uh, you know, it's, all, it's not really that bad or, hey, you know, God's going to do all this great stuff through it. And in the midst of my own valley, uh, I, I really at the start of my pastoral journey, uh, I found myself in the wilderness and mm. none of those excuses, none of those cliche advice things were really working, you know? Um, and ultimately I had to come to grips with who do I believe God is and, and who do I know he is and can I worship him even if my life doesn't go the way I thought it should or look the way I wanted it to. Mm.
1: Mitchell, one of the things that I know you just Sort of touched on one of the things you talk about in the book is a time early on in your ministry when you were let go from two churches. We have a lot of pastors and ministry leaders that listen to the common good. I would love to hear that how that impacted you and how did you determine to keep pursuing your pastoral calling after that? Because I imagine that was not easy.
3: Oh, yeah. And how timely right now, right? I was hearing somebody was saying that this is this coming year is going to be the year of the great resignation mm, in churches. I believe that, right? Where, right, where pastors are. Uh, for one reason or another, just throwing in the towel. And uh, I've seen that a lot. And, and you know, and I'm talking, right, I think we're talking about something different from then just like there's a whole category of like moral failures and all mm-hmm. of those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But then there's this whole category, right, of, of, of pastors, men and women who just, for one reason or another, they get disappointed. They get they get punched in the gut yeah. with ministry, yeah. uh, right? It's um, I've been thinking about this, actually, and if you think about it, the way that most people get called into ministry is usually through some sort of affirmation, right? Like, hey, you're a good speaker. You're really good with people. Or you know the scripture. And it starts with this great affirmation. And if you think about that, it's almost like kind of a bubble, right? Because it yeah. it leads us to this place where then ministry should have this fruitfulness and success and mm-hmm. all these things. And then you run into people, right? And then you run into
0: <laughs> That's real, life. yep.
3: Yeah. And it doesn't go the way you thought it should be. And that's when you really have to come back to it, right? Like it's, I would say for people who are second guessing their calling, or even right Mm. now, somebody listening and saying, I don't know how much longer I can do this. You got to take a moment to reflect on like, what is it that's making you second guess, Mm. right? Is it the hardships, the lack of results, lack of fruitfulness, uh, success? Um, Growing up early on in ministry, I was always told like, you know, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? Right. But do you hear how that question is also, again, based on success and affirmation? Yeah. Like if you, I'm beginning to flip the question of what would you attempt? And what is so God has put such into your heart that burns so strongly that you would have to attempt even if you thought you might fail. At it. hmm. Like it's that important. Right. right? Um, that passion isn't just about what you're excited about, but it's what you're willing to suffer for. Right. Hmm. And and this is where the even if I think uniquely for pastors of. In my journey, I I really thought I was out before I even got into my first church. I mean, I'd gotten fired twice and um, all from like misunderstandings with the leadership and these kinds of things. I had to look into some pride issues and some arrogance for sure. The Lord was dealing with that. But there was also this sort of, oh gosh, like, you know, charismatic people, dime a dozen. Competent Mm -hmm. people, dime a dozen. It is this character, deep walking with God. And I mean, I had to raise my own even if declaration, like, even if, Lord, I never pastor another church again, I'm going to worship you. That's right. Like, you are worthy of that. And that is what's kept me in it through pandemic, through all
0: sorts of stuff. Right. Uh, That's really good. Hey, Mitchell, when for people who even aren't pastors, just people who are listening, when life gets really hard and they could be right now super discouraged, you know, for all sorts of different reasons. and they know, they hear the call to trusting God's goodness. I guess what I'm asking is how do they do that? What's a step? How can somebody hold on to God's goodness? Yeah.
3: That great question, Brian. Um, I would say one word, remember, Hmm. remember, 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 um, there's a reason why in the scriptures that the idea of do not forget or remember is repeated over and over and over again. Like the Lord knew that his people were prone to forget. I mean, in fact, it, he knew that so much, right? He creates these feasts. He attaches meals to the <laughs> Right, like, right. Like, hey, I want you to remember it. Here's some food to jog your memory. Hmm. Um, remember rem- remember God's goodness. Like, you might be in a place right now. It's dark. Like, the test result didn't go the way you wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, th- it, it looks bleak. The marriage looks bleak. Like, remember his goodness to you, to get to you where you are right now. Hmm. You didn't get here by your, yourself. You didn't get here just by accident. Like God's goodness in his hand has been upon you. And if your own experience is too limited in that, like this is where the testimony of scripture helps us. And we see the the goodness of God over uh, the the history of his people again and again and again and again, uh, remembering, remembering, uh, you know, a, a practice I've been doing uh, probably in the last few months is every night taking the moment to remember the day. It's good. So just hour by hour, like, okay, what was happening here, and where was God in it, and how was where was he, where did where did I feel His absence, and just to be reminded of God's presence with me, and it's been a very very um, a powerful exercise each day mm. to get me up my heart and my mind in the in the the, the discipline I'll say of remembering.
1: Mm, Mitchell, that's such a good word for all of us, especially um, in this particular cultural moment. Mitchell Lee is a lead pastor of Grace Community Church in Maryland. Again, he's the author of Even If, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. You can find out more about Mitchell and his book at mitchellee.com. Mitchell, just before the break, we were talking about some practices that you do in order to remember God's goodness, especially in difficult times. I wonder if there are some other ways your readers and our listeners can practice that even if faith today.
3: Yeah, you know, um, one of them might, and you'll be able to, you could amplify this or, or say the same thing, Aubry, just the idea of saying what is so, or, mm. you know, in, in some respects, we talk about it, biblical lament, yeah. uh, or in contemplative practices, they call it the idea of naming your desires, right? Mm. Saying what is so. I, I was, uh, I was talking with, a actually a young adult, uh, who was really living in some of this regret of not being married yet. And uh, we were talking about this even if declaration, and he wanted to jump right to the even if, right? Like, even if I don't get married, I'm going to worship you, God. And I just sensed something in this moment, like, hey, let's pause for a second here. Because I, when you talk about the desire to get married, I sense something there. Mm. What's that about? And it like brought us to this whole other level of depth mm. where I realized, oh, my gosh, he has not really named his desires. Almost like, oh, well, God knows them. I don't really have to say it but it's that speaking that brings the dignity of it right? right the validity of that's it right. that brings it before the lord and so you know there's a the practice of remembering god's goodness but there's also the practice of saying what our hopes and our expectations were or are uh it's not the it's not having hopes and expectations that's the problem like that's inevitable it's what we do with mm-hmm. them when inevitably life turns out differently yeah. than what we had hoped or expected yeah. right
0: Good. Yeah. Mitchell, I want I wanna, uh, to ask you one quick question away mm-hmm. from the book. You talk, you introduced yourself as leading a large multi-ethnic church in Maryland. Uh, could you help people understand what's a multi-ethnic church? And I would really like to know from you, what makes it difficult to lead a multi-ethnic church, uh, a growing church like you described?
3: Wow. Yeah, great question. Uh, so, you know, whenever I get that question, it's always the well, the technical definition is... Well, yes. that's, that's, <laughs> right. That, and numbers and this kind of things. uh, A a good friend of mine uh, talks about, uh, you could start it from simply the idea of many ethnicities, many cultures, uh, many people coming together to worship Christ. That would be the base definition. Right now as I said we you know we are growing into this we're really wrestling with you know we can be we are very multi ethnic in attendance what does it mean to be multi ethnic in our ethos mm. so in our relationships and the way we go about church life uh, how much is it are we just i basically say are we just an NBA all star game where people from their separate teams come on Sunday and then they go back to their teams mm. Or are we something more? And that's really, Brian, where we find ourselves in this, mm. this tension right now of what does that look like in leadership? What does that look like in worship expression? What does that look like in just community group life uh, to recognize, oh, wait a second. My my South Asian brother and sister has an experience and a way of, of worshiping Jesus that I actually need hmm. to see Jesus through their eyes. I nice. need that. Um So it's so much more than just a humanistic kind of, oh, we need diversity for diversity's sake. It is a, we want to worship Christ in all of his glory, in his robust beauty. And we need every ethnicity to help us see that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we're really trying to pursue at Grace.
1: What a beautiful picture of the church. Let me ask you another just church question we like to ask pastors that are on the show. You know, it's obviously been a difficult past I don't even know how long it's been now (laughs) for (laughs) eternity. I'll just say (laughs) it's been a long while. Um, I think I know how you'll answer this, but I'd love to hear from your heart. Are you hopeful for the church right now?
3: I am. I am. I am hopeful for the church in that I hope we can really get back to the essence of what it means to be the church uh, for our time and for our day and by essence i mean there's so many different applications and and contexts in which the church needs to carry out her mission but by essence i mean a community of faith being deeply rooted in the love of jesus and i think what we saw is what we've seen is through all the scattering and all of the various things that have attacked the church like the lord is is pruning us yep. right and yep. purifying us and I am hopeful. I am hopeful because I'm seeing a move in which people are saying, gosh, we were so busy. We had so many things going on. Uh, What's the essence of it again? Oh, yeah. Mm. We're supposed to love Jesus Mm. and we're supposed to demonstrate his love to any and all we meet. And I'm seeing that move. I am am seeing that move, even with changing leadership and all sorts of things happening in churches.
0: Yeah. All right. So Mitchell, somebody reads your book and they come up to you, they run into you on the street and they're like, Hey, I read your book. What, what do you want them to have gotten from the book? What do you want? What do you want to hear from them? They go, I read your book and it did this. What, what, what do you want to hear from people?
3: Oh gosh, I would love to hear, you know, and I endured another day. Yeah. I didn't throw in the towel or, mm. you know, what? I read your book and I'm, I'm worshiping Jesus just a little bit more today Mm. than I did yesterday. Mm. Right. Uh, A book's not going to, a book's not going to solve somebody's cancer journey. Right. A book's not going to make somebody feel unstuck, but we know the God who can be and who is with us in it. And if I can point people to that, to him uh, in just a little bit, uh, that that's what the message is for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Mitchell, um, one of the things that you focus on in the book are these counter-ifs. And for our listeners, I would love for you to define those and then tell us a little bit, how can we move past counter-ifs?
3: Yeah. So counter, as, counter-ifs, I, I try to talk about three categories of, of counter-ifs. There are these, the ways that we try to, try to face life instead of, and even if resolved, we, we try to change the situation. So The first one is like our our conditionals, our only ifs that start from really sincere places. Like if only God would do this and do this, they kind of turn into this white knuckled condition we put on God. Only if God, you do this in this way, uh, will I know that you are good. Or we live, a lot of us live with regrets. The if only is like, oh, if only this had been different. If only my past, uh, my broken past could be different. Mm -hmm. Or if only I could go back to my golden past. Yeah, That's so much, right? Like as if God's only gonna be pleased with me if I can be like the faith of my yesteryear, mm. right? Or or a gosh, the the if the if only regrets of a fantasy future, which is mm-hmm. ah, I should be this thing by now, yeah. right? We're comparing ourselves mm-hmm. to this imposter self all the time, mm-hmm. um, and then the last one is these what ifs of of contingencies, like what if this goes wrong, what if that goes wrong, in our attempt to control life. And I try to un- unpack each of those. Uh, pastorally just saying like I, I've seen and I can see in my own life and other folks lives, how this can have a hold on us. And I think the first step is to begin to identify, okay, here's a conditional, a regret, a contingency, because they're all like, are this like unholy Trinity that come <laughs> together. That's right. Right. And, and if we can begin to identify, name them. And then I talk about ways that we can declare, even if over our conditions, just by identifying, naming them and surrendering them. And, mm. And I'll, I'll add that and even if declaration is not a one and done thing, right? I mean, I had to <laughs> – I feel like it's more of a tapestry in which each of life's moments and whether they're defining moments or small moments kind of give us this thread that we weave into our even if declaration. And, um example that yesterday I was driving back from – you know, a, a friend of ours has uh, uh, had a loved one passed away. I went, made this visitation. I'm heading back to my office to get my sermon done and I get a flat tire. <laughs> oh! I get a flat tire. And, yeah, <laughs> right? And uh, you know what? It was a There was an uh, an even-if moment in there because I'm like, oh, I got to get back. I get my sermon done. I've got this schedule, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, and I start complaining. And then I'm outside. I'm walking to this thing. and I'm like, oh, the goodness of God, like, I got the flat here instead of over there. I got it. Da, 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 and mm. Gosh, God, even if even if my sermon doesn't get done today, I'm going to worship you. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to worship you. Mm. A small thread, right? A yeah. small thread.
1: Such a good word for all of us. Mitchell Lee is a lead pastor of Grace Community Church in Maryland. He's the author of Even If, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. Mitchell, where can our listeners connect with you, find you, follow you, all of that fun stuff?
3: Yeah, um, by my website, MitchellLee.com is a great place to start. And from there, you can connect with the, uh, whether it's Insta or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can also go to Grace.Community as my church and, and hear some of the messages and just get a little bit, uh, get to know me a little bit more in our, and the community I love.
1: Mitchell, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks, it's been so great to hear from you.
3: What a joy to be with both of you guys. Blessings on your ministry and as you guys continue to endure through this season.
1: Thanks, Thanks Mitchell. Mitchell. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co host, Brian Fromm. And as we continue to watch the news unfold out of Afghanistan, Things are just absolutely devastating. There, we know there was the explosion at the airport. It looks like that was the work of ISIS. More and more, just devastating news unfolding every minute. It seems like Brian, as Christians, what do we do right now?
0: Yeah, like you said, you. This has been. We've all been watching this through the day, and it, uh, like you said. Uh, we've been watching the last couple of days in Afghanistan, just the uncertainty, the the craziness, and you know, people trying to get out, and and now you've been crossing your fingers, you know, to use just kind of that vernacular, right, going. Right. I just hope nothing bad happens. Like mm. it's already a mess, and bad things yeah. are already happening, but on a grand yeah. scale. And then today, you see about what seems to be coordinated explosion and gun. I mean, it, it is tragic, and. Yeah. I don't know enough about the area, but well, it's this group. It just seems I'm reading. It seems to be ISIS is what people are guessing. And it it reminds you of just the fragility of that area, um, the dangers of these groups. But Aubrey, you asked the question, what do we do as believers? Uh, Again, uh, I feel like we've been saying this all week and saying, I don't even know why I feel the need to caveat like this isn't a cop out like this is actually our calling. And that is to be uh, men and women who pray. Uh, a lot of times in churches, we can be like, oh, I'll pray for that. And it's kind of like, well, eh, I don't know. I'll pray about it. no, no, actually pray, uh, right. actually call out to the God of the universe to say, we need you to work a miracle here. Like there are people yeah. in danger and not just Americans. Like I know that's where our focus goes, but also the Afghans and and other people. Uh, I was reading an article about uh, the British military and that one of these explosions happened near where they are. And so you're just remembering the fragility of what's going on there becomes a fertile ground for these kind of things to happen. Uh, and and now is not the time. Maybe it is for some people. For me, now is not the time to debate, um, you know, uh, policy. And this. Right. And that. it's instead a right. time to pray and be concerned for the people who are really in harm's way right now.
1: Yeah, because we know that there have been casualties. There will be a lot more as the news continues to unfold. Yesterday, we had a really powerful conversation with Vanitha Reisner about turning to God in the midst of suffering. We just finished up a conversation with Mitchell Lee about continuing to worship God in the midst of suffering. And one of the things that he said is naming what is so. And I think right now this Mm. is a moment to say, Lord, in Afghanistan, this is devastating. Would your Holy Spirit move there? Would you bring an end to this um, horrifying news that we're hearing and would you move in only the way that you can God because this feels so overwhelming and you have got to step in yeah I, I think you know of course it's devastating to continue to share these news stories continue to watch these news stories but I think you're right Brian this is not a moment for debating this is a moment really for lamenting to cry out to God to see some change. I think this is a great moment to go to an organization like worldrelief.org, see how they're partnering with uh, some of the refugees that have been able to leave Afghanistan, some of the families, and see what we can do in that way. But let's not forget to pray for those who are suffering.
0: Yeah, and praying that there won't be more of this. That's and, it. Because right now, I think if you watch the news, and I totally understand why, if you read Twitter, it more and more and more of this feels inevitable, yeah. Uh, and and you know, on, on America's side, it's the concern is will this bleed into our country? Like you know, and, mm-hmm. and but there's feels like an inevitability, at least to this part of the world, this region, that these kind of things are not just going to be one time deals, but are yeah. going to keep happening as a way of destabilizing what is going on, sowing fear, uh, and all sorts of other things. And I think that's what we need to be praying around right now. Aubrey is just. Uh, Lord, we need you to work like there's there's this is evil and people are in danger. Uh, And Lord, would you do a miracle? And I Mm. think so I think the calling is for us uh, is just for us to be prayerful. What else, you know, Aubrey, like as you see the world, people see the world is just kind of destable and and just mm-hmm. crazy. That could be really overwhelming.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, what would you encourage those who feel really overwhelmed? I know it's weird to be like, well, I feel overwhelmed. I'm not over there facing attack. So we understand the people over there are the real ones facing yes, danger. But it yes. doesn't mean we don't we can't emotionally or just feel overwhelmed by this. So what would you say to people who feel that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that there are I think that there are some powerful things we can do when we feel overwhelmed. And one of those things, honestly, is to go to the word of God, open up the book of Lamentations, particularly chapter three, where Jeremiah is talking about all of the devastation that he's experiencing, that he's seeing all around him, but then he gets to a place where he remembers the faithfulness of God. And I think even if you don't feel that, it is worth going to that prayer, praying Jeremiah's words out loud mm. as an offering to God. And I, we talk about this a lot on the common good, but borrowing the faith of those who have suffered before us to get us through these moments. And Brian, I want to do something a little unorthodox. I'm going to put you on the spot here as a pastor, but because we are calling our listeners to pray, I wonder if we could just stop for a minute. And if you could just generally pray a prayer on behalf of... Our listeners, uh, right now, if we could just pause and pray for Afghanistan, would you lead us?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Father right. God, we uh, we grieve as we watch the news, Lord. I don't know what else to do but to grieve, Lord. I, I pray for the people in harm's way right now. Lord, would you be a protector? Would your presence be very real, Lord? We ask that you would miraculously bring stability where there's so much instability now. Um, Lord, for people who are listening right now who just feel... Uh, because of COVID and Afghanistan and everything else, Lord, they just feel this angst and this instability. Lord, I pray uh, that they would know Your presence, they would know Your power, Lord, they would know Your peace, and that, as Aubrey said, we can lament, but we can also trust You, Lord. Uh, and we know that you're good and that even even in these instabilities of this world, uh, we can trust that you're still good and you're still in control, Lord. So I pray for my friends out there who are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be very active, Lord? And would you challenge us to pray? Would you drive us to our knees um, in these moments, Lord? We are grateful that we can trust you, that this world is not all that there is, and that you still are active, Lord. We love okay. you. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks so much for that, yeah, Brian. Well, absolutely. we're so grateful that you've joined us today. We know this is a heavy way to end the show, but we never want to avoid difficult things just because they're difficult. We want to call all Christians to get on their knees and to lift up our brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering right now. So we're so grateful that you did that with us and so grateful for you leading us in that mm-hmm. prayer, Brian. We hope you join us again tomorrow from four to six for more common good for Brian from I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.